HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was yeah. I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director here at Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler, our Executive Director. Hey, Kat. Hello. We have a really full house today. We're overflowing. We are. <laughs> we, um, we have the rest of the HRN team in the studio with us, like both in the actual studio and overflowing to the control booth. Um, we have got with us. I'm not even going to look at this. There's piece lots of, of things paper flowing. I just have to go. It's, <laughs> I, it's so flowy. We I think, I think that's what Heck. happened to your chair. In fact, is the flowy. I, yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Heavy flow. Oh, no, no, guys. Yikes. Come on. All right. In studio, Michaela Heck, Samantha Lee, Sarah Strong, Lila Goldstein. David Tashore. He's in the studio today. Inside the studio. This is what I look like. Out of control. Who let you in here? And uh, they left the door unlocked. We have Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Jordan Werner. Is she still there? Yeah. Jordan Werner Barry. Jordan Werner Barry. 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 Hello. Yeah, get her right. And 
We have Vitor Hirsch on the controls today. Making Hi. us all sound good. Who's Who does it better? Vitor, did you post all those episodes? <laughs> uh, I do it better. Cool, thanks. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited today. Our guests are... Um, Two amazing, amazing people. Uh, we have Lou Bank, the renowned agave spirits expert and founder of Sacred, which stands for, if you don't know it by now, you have been listening to our show very often, <laughs> saving agave for culture, recreation, education, and development. Hi, Lou. Hey, how you doing? I'm so good. I'm so happy to see you in New York. Right. I'm happy to be in New York. Under all of this snow, oh my goodness, the weather here is terrifying. You brought it. <laughs> Whatevers. <laughs> um, and our second guest is Lucas Volger, food writer, recipe developer, and editor at Jari Mag, a semi-annual magazine exploring the intersection of food and queer culture. Welcome, Lucas. Hi, Kat. Thank you. We are really, really psyched for both Lucas and Lou to dive into both of your respective ventures. But before we do that... As always, we are going to kick off with our headlines and upcoming event announcements. Pressing upcoming event announcements. On Sunday, Eat Your Words host Kathy Irway was joined by author Ruby Tando to talk about her latest book, which is Eat Up, Food, Appetite, and Eating What You Want. And uh, it features sympathetic advice on everything from mental health to baking tips. And on Monday's Cherry Bomb... They featured Butcher and Bee's ex- executive pastry chef and James Beard Award finalist Cynthia Wong. Host Carrie Diamond interviewed Cynthia last week in F&B Radio's new hybrid studio bar space in Charleston, which we can vouch for the total awesomeness of. And the F&B team sat in on the interview as well. And the second half of the show featured Mark Goldman. He's the founder of Formaticum Cheese Papers, and he explained how to properly store and care for cheese, which, by the way, if you didn't know this, is a living thing. Take care of your cheese. Yes, please. (laughs) Japan Eats This Week featured chef and my good friend Josh Plunkett, who, after cutting his teeth in kitchens in Dublin and New York, spent much of last year learning the art of Japanese cooking in Kyoto. Josh is now getting ready to make a move to San Francisco to work at Cezanne, and he joined host Ikiko Katayama to talk about what he learned about Japanese cuisine. On Meant to be Eaten, host Cora Lee spoke with Parlor's coffee founder Dylan Edwards about the cross-cultural journey coffee beans take from harvest to roaster and what it means to stay honest as a coffee bean sourcer and how cafes can indirectly hurt their local communities. And the three brothers and one cousin behind Zaro's Family Bakery joined Michael Harlan Turkle on the food scene this week to talk about baking, baking the breads and pastries of their birthright and maintaining the family business as the fourth generation to do so. Thanks to Zaro's for bringing all of us uh, bagels and arugula, too. I have I'm to throw that in there. I'm still in a carb coma because uh, I might have eaten like 17 bagels in the last two days. They're so good. Thank you, Zaros. You can't waste them. Someone's got to eat them. I'm on it. <clears throat> so those are a few of the great interviews and more that can be found on our website, heritageradionetwork.org, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure if you like a podcast on HRN that you're subscribing. Yes. Also, guys... This was, you know, probably a thing that's been able to be done for a while now, but I'm a little bit old. So um, we have an Alexa in the co-working space at 100 Bogart. And hey, 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 guess what I did? Wait for it. I said, hey, Alexa, play Cooking Issues on iHeartRadio. And it totally worked. 
And then you heard, hey, it's Dave Arnold for Cooking Issues. Yeah. <laughs> She's That's like, what happened. Getting latest episode. Oh my God. Hey. <laughs> hey, Alexa, steal my identity. Um, well, you know, it's in the work office. I still don't have one in my home, but it was pretty cool. So if you have one of those listening spy things in your home, you should use it to listen to Heritage Radio Network. That's a thing you can do now, and we're pretty excited about it. There yes. is nothing in my home that listens to me. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, Lou. Mm, you've mm. not met my wife. Oh. <laughs> He's a rich guy. Um, <laughs> well, we got David on the, uh, the David's vocalizations. Gonna, David's going to narrate the sound effects today. <laughs> we have the subtitled version today. Um, copyrighted all those sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In exciting news, in our upcoming events. Very upcoming. Very upcoming. Today is the day. We've been talking about this for a bunch of weeks now. After we finish here at Happy Hour, we are hosting along with Lou Bank. So you think you can you know Mezcal and educational tasting. And if you don't have your tickets yet, you should go cry because we sold out. <laughs> we sold out. We sold out. To, yeah, we're totally sold out. Um, there's a waiting list. Go wallow in FOMO. And I'm really, really sorry that we're going to miss you, and you should be sorry, too, and you will feel even more sorry after our interview with Lou today. So we will get to do it again, but But if, if you go to sacredagave.org and sign up for the mailing list, you won't miss the next one. There you, there go. you go. That's sacredagave.org. So if you already have your ticket, like a responsible adult, this week you can come to 100 Bogart Street at 6.30 p.m. tonight. Do not miss it because then the people ticking. who couldn't get their tickets will be so mad at you. And uh, you will come and enjoy these incredible agave spirits with us. And uh, we hope if you didn't make it to this one that we'll see you at the next one. Uh, but we're very, very, very excited about this. Yes, we are. Speaking of spirits, uh, another event we want to point out is that this weekend is the fifth annual New York City Craft Distillers Festival, which is hosted at the Bowery Hotel. Over 20 specialty craft distillers will be serving tastings to attendees over a two-session, all-day, all-night speakeasy experience. Mm. Whoa. Tickets can be found. <laughs> what a creep. <laughs> I was just trying to read that in an exciting and engaging way, and it kind of went off the rails. I'm sorry. All right. Enough of our events are you, announcements. Are you ready to go drink, Kat? <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> it's happy hour, guys. It is happy hour. Um, all right. Lou and Lucas, thank you again for joining us today. Um, I want to start with Lucas. You had your own veggie burger business and have a lot of experience with recipe development for vegan and vegetarian food. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that trajectory went from vegan and vegetarian food to uh, Jari Magazine? To queer food? Um, yeah. Well, I worked in, well, growing up, I worked in a bakery and through college, I worked as a line cook. Um, then I worked in book publishing for about 10 years and off and on in that space, I was doing some cooking, either, you know, catering type stuff or professional stuff. So I've always been doing like food and books. And my first cookbook opportunity was one to write about veggie burgers. And having worked in book publishing, seeing books that just kind of are published and then just dissolve into the ether, I, that was kind of what I expected to happen to mine. But it isn't what happened, and I became sort of known without um, really trying to make this happen uh, as like a veggie burger authority. <laughs> you know, you write a book about veggie burgers, and suddenly you're a veggie burger authority. I don't know how that, how that works, but it never quite occurred to me. But then... Um, and as part of the research for doing that book, I just like ate every single veggie burger out there. 
um, at the beginning before I started writing it, and then I did it all again at the end. And it, at the end, I was just like so shocked by how bad all the store-bought veggie burgers were. And I was like, oh, I was had working like a freelance life, working on some other writing projects. I was like, maybe I should start a food business, and um, and I did. And I did that for about three years, and it's really, really hard. Um, I will. I'm happy to give anybody advice about having food businesses if if you want it, but um, it might be at times discouraging. Um, and then at the same time, doing all this, sort of seeing food from the media side, from the kitchen side, from um, the recipe development side, I've always been aware of like how many LGBTQ people are drawn to the food industry and all all its different facets and. So it would just seemed like um, it kind of came to me when I was reading this article that coined the term duty. Have you ever heard of this? A do duty, like there's a foodie <laughs> and then there's a duty. It's a wow. dude foodie. <laughs> and it's this article by Jessica Pressler that was on, I think, the cut. And she, it's a really funny satire piece about like what characterizes like men in the kitchen and buying sous vide machines and knowing how to like bury a pig in the backyard listening to cooking issues yeah but they don't know how to make a vinaigrette and this is that's just like kind of i know that's not that's gross generalization but it was all my like gay foodie friends like aren't quite like that i was like oh maybe there should be a magazine called goody um and goody didn't quite catch but when we landed on the the word jari which comes from this vernacular called um polari just sort of spoken in the early mid 20th century and Western Europe, a vernacular is sort of like to zhuzh your hair is a Polari word. And there's a way mostly like gay men would be able to like, well, it's just kind of for fun, but also as a way to like identify other gay people in like public spaces. And in Polari, Jari means food. And so, so that's what set it off. Oh, I never yeah. knew where the name came from. That's super yeah. interesting. I have to ask you, um, the dude foodie thing kind of made me think about this. Everyone's been talking about the new Queer Eye series and the, the Anthony, the food expert, and they've been very critical of the fact that he's not really doing, uh, let's say, uh, difficult, yeah, elevated cuisine. <laughs> um, but it's because he's teaching men who don't, who like don't know how to, you know, make a salad. Yeah. So have you seen it? Do you have any like thoughts on on Anthony? Yeah, his, his I, ha- I haven't seen all of it, but um, I do. I mean, I've. I've read a lot of his responses to the criticism and he's very like, you know, I'm not trying to like, these are literally people that don't know how to boil an egg. So I'm trying to like show them how to like, this is a food and this is an opportunity to like self, this is self care, you know, that's kind of the mission of the the show. And I agree with that. But I also like know so many people that would have been really great in that role. <laughs> so, so I can't help oh. but be feel, feeling a little bit bitchy about it, too. So, I don't know. We posted a great article about Anthony on uh, Jari Briefs that John Birdsall wrote. Oh, oh yes, cool. I did see that. I'm excited to read Check that. Check that out. Yeah, yeah I've been, been following the, uh, you know, supposed controversy about it. And, you know, I was definitely yelling at the TV with the whole guacamole situation. But yeah. Okay, <laughs> but explain what that is for people who haven't seen it. Well, if you haven't seen it, please just go binge watch the series. It's almost the weekend. So just, like, cancel your plans and do that. And you will you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's so good. Well, and, I, I, and I love all of the Fab Five anyway. But, yeah, so this... This the guacamole situation is like it was kind of actually one of the more advanced dishes that Anthony <laughs> yeah. made, and like he's got this guy. Like they start off the the whole um, episode starts off with the this is the one with the redneck margarita, right? Which is um, yes, it is Mountain Dew and tequila rum, tequila oh, yeah. Mountain Dew and and tequila. It wasn't like, tequila. 
Yeah, it was like bottom shelf. Oh, really? Okay. Like so, yeah. Like yeah. it was. It was a stretch. Like the video I, I, um, I'm just margarita. waiting. I want to explain this, and I'm waiting for Lou's reaction because I cannot wait. Okay, yeah. So Lou might might have you seen it, Lou? No. Okay, no. okay. So uh, so he goes to make guacamole, and you know he gets the mocajete, and I'm like, okay, this is a little much for this guy who like you know two minutes ago prepared you a cocktail of. Co- like cola or I, I, Mountain yeah. Dew tequila Mountain and ice Dew. cubes. At yeah, Texaco. like this is like yeah. yeah. So this guy doesn't need a mocajete. Like you can do, use a fork. <laughs> it's fine. So they they make the guacamole and then he's like, and then Anthony's like, I like to make mine extra light and tangy. And he takes a tub of Greek yogurt. It takes like a quarter oh. cup of it and glops it into the mocajete with the avocados. And I was just like. I was screaming at the television and and like this is like a big source of the controversy and in the New Yorker article where they like called him out this was a big point of view like you, you, you don't why would you do that why he did, Lou, he had, thoughts like, oh, sorry Lou. Well, he also had um, like a New York Times reporter over and made the Marcella Hazan like mm-hmm. tomato butter sauce and then and then changed it and then added like the whole thing with the recipe is that it's perfect and needs nothing it's else Marcella. and he like and he threw shit in I'm just kidding yeah, you can. Like Internet threw shit in there, and it's like you don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry. This, that's the, that's well, what I'm done. Well, but you know, you're, you're you're making a basic assumption, and the assumption is that his goal is to actually teach somebody something, and it's not like all these shows. What are they? About? Even this show, when you come right, down, it's about entertainment. Yes, about, that's now, why we so, have you guys on here. Have you here. seen it? It's and so show, beautiful, but though. it is so beautiful. <laughs> well, well that, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. you find it beautiful even while it's disgusting you. So he's doing his job <laughs> that's correctly. True. It's just I have my really complicated feelings about this one character, but he seems so lovely in all of his interviews. And like I feel bad. Like I, I you know, you hear his response, and then I really truly do feel feel a little bit guilty. But he really likes the strokes too, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, the strokes um, tease thing is um, but, the whole thing. He owns he owns like 15. strokes. Strokes t-shirts. I also feel like when we, so we at Jari, when Queer Eye was started, we were like, okay, we got to, we got to get in on this. And then as I was like, so many, I mean, Anthony has been like a lightning rod and the whole show has been received so, so well, like overwhelmed. Like I think everybody just expected it to be so bad. And then when it was really good, when it was like not so bad, everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And um, I kind of think the audience isn't necessarily queer people it's i mean it's like it's called it used to be called for the straight guy but i I don't think the audience is like me as as much as it is like that's true people yeah (laughs) and and like i think the choices they made of like who the guys getting the makeovers are and the communities that they're doing this in it is like very much a show about like opening people's eyes to a different culture and a whole different world and it's very like it's very beautiful in its simplicity in the way that it's doing that and um I did also just like want to briefly touch on the other controversy about AJ, um, which I don't know. This was like something I He's read the two days ago. Guy? Um, the guy who, the Redneck Margaritas guy. Um, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yes. So he, there was this storyline where at the end he, you know, the whole like, you know, every time they do a makeover, there's like an objective. And the objective, the objective to this one was to ask his ex out on a date. Mm-hmm. And because they've been like off and on for 17 years or something. And they're like, you know, secretly in love. And so Abby, the, the, I love Abby. Yeah. So at the end, and, and I'm I'm gonna do a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, Abby agrees to go on a date with him, and the controversy right now is they recently announced their engagement, mm-hmm. and the controversy is 
they were never, you know, the, the conspiracy theory is they were never really broken up. They faked being broken up oh for the God. show so that there could be this big Netflix wedding. But the beautiful thing about this controversy is, like, actually kind of, it's wonderful. Like, they were so in love that they, like, schemed together to, like, have Netflix <laughs> buy them a beautiful wedding. That's one like, way to look at it. Way yeah, that's a generous it could read. be so much worse. <laughs> Redneck margaritas will be flowing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like wedding cake. But there bar. will be a guacamole buffet with all the Greek yogurt you could want. I am oh. totally fine with Netflix paying for their wedding. I, I, I am too. I mean, they can afford it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Go oh for my it. Gosh. Go for it. Wow. Anyway, we so got. We, <laughs> might we have did, but I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Okay. Um, Lucas, on. I want to ask you really quick too. Um, about the latest issue of Jari. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what are the features? Sure. The latest issue is themed around, It's called, the theme is called Style and Substance. Um, it came out last fall. Um, and we, you know, we're like a twice a year and we sometimes are a little flexible with our publication schedule, but it features Zach Posen on the cover, style icon. Um, inside, with what's that? Cooking with Zach. Yeah, yeah. Cooking with, he, has, he has a cookbook that came out right around the same time. Um, and I think he's actually been featured on some of your shows. He's been on too. the food scene. That's right. Okay. Um, right here in this very studio. That's so cool. He planted his ha hands against the glass and took a very nice photo. <laughs> nice. Um, well, we started the issue and the idea was that this is going to be like a fashion design issue. And then as it evolved, it was like, oh, my God, there's so much more to this than me being like a word person. I mean, there's substance here. <laughs> but, um, there was substance all along. But we ended up adding the substance. But um, there's other, some other really great stories in the issue. We like hung out with Ruby Tando, um, who was just interviewed by Kathy. Mm -hmm. We have a great piece with David Tannis. Um, we have a great piece about Julia Tertian and her wife, Grace, Grace Bonnie. We did this feature on queer supper clubs, which are really kind of like taken off right now in various parts around the country. Um, what else is in there? We did a travel piece about Milan. Um, it's a really, really good issue. If you can go to um, jarimag.com to get the whole table of contents and also order yourself a copy. Am I allowed to ask questions? Yes, you are. Cool. <laughs> so the, my, my uh, knowledge of the supper clubs begins and ends with Wisconsin, right? I'm from Chicago, go up to Wisconsin, and, and like there's, a, there's a, a very distinct look for supper clubs in Wisconsin. Is that the... Like, the they have those kinds of supper clubs everywhere? What? Tell me about a Wisconsin supper club. <laughs> it feels like you're going... So, oh, God, everybody in Wisconsin is going to send me hate mail. It feels to me kind of like you're going sort of to an, a, a, a backwoods country club without the pools and stuff. And so, you like, everybody's there on a Friday night, and you're getting your fish fry, and, and there's just... You're not going to order fancy cocktails, but you're going to get solid drinks, um... That like it, it. The menu is the same everywhere. You've got your roast beef. Like you know what to expect in a supper club. Well, I, this might be. These might be a little different. They are. Well, when I think of supper clubs, I think of like the ones that have been popping up around Brooklyn over the past like ten or fifteen years. Like, like chefs, sort of in their apartments, like underground dinners. Yeah, under, oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe oh, it's oh, the same oh. thing. Okay. And oh. these are so like one of them is Jane's Beard, which is a, a supper club mm -hmm. here in New York, um, uh, founded by. Um, Elena and Sabrina, and it's a supper club. You know, there there aren't that many social spaces. There are like, not that many lesbian bars anymore, and so it's like this forward-thinking dining event for other queer women, um, and it's very food-oriented. So, like, they sort of bonded over this shared interest and, like, wanted to go do a 25-course tasting menu, and they didn't really have other friends that wanted to do that with them, and they're like, where are the other, like, 
queer lesbian foodies out there and then they just kind of like became the anchor for that community and then there's another one called Queer Soup Night founded by Liz Alpern of um, and she wanted it was both all of these kind of took they sprung up after the election but she wanted to be able to just like it's like what do I know how to you know how do I how do I respond to this political situation and like what the uncertainty of how I feel right now after the election she's like well I know how to gather people and I know how to cook and so she started this queer soup night where it's a roughly like once a month thing where she invites people to make soup and then everyone comes and makes a donation it's usually like a minimum donation is like ten dollars and it goes to some local charity where um, the amount of money raised whether it's a thousand dollars to three thousand dollars it will have an impact and so those are sort of two I guess they're mission driven in a way and they're um, a lot of them are focused on queer women and like sort of gender non-conforming or gender non-binary people where there, you know, there's a lot of like gay bars still, um, but there aren't so many like fun social spaces for, for those people. So I, I think that that was kind of the theory that we developed as we were developing the story. Okay, so so the deal then is when you're in Chicago next, you're coming with me to Wisconsin so that you can see what a supper club is in Wisconsin so that you can understand what was going through my mind when I heard yeah, queer this, supper well, clubs. It so, sounds like this could be a beautiful like fusion of supper clubs. There right? you go. There you go. Um, Lucas, I want to ask you one more other question and then we'll take a break and get into these bottles that Lou brought, which is very exciting. Um Jari was originally started as um, a magazine about food and gay men, but it's recently kind of expanded its scope a little bit. Can you talk about why that's important? Sure. So when we launched, we had what we all agreed was this hilarious and perfect tagline called men plus food plus men. Um, and <laughs> we, it was myself and, and um, Steve Vixjo, who's the creative director, and then um, Alex Kristofczyk, who it was three gay guys, and we were like, we want to create a magazine that we wanted to read, and we thought this is a community we can speak for and speak to. Um, and that just kind of made, and we saw Cherry Bomb, and we were like, oh, that maybe one day there will be like a lesbian version of Jari, and we just thought that we should focus on what we knew, and then launched the magazine, and sort of like two issues in, shortly after we launched um, it was like, oh, you know what? The stories are actually going to be like a lot better if we like open this up to be as inclusive across the LGBTQ spectrum as possible. Um, and so we, I mean, even from our second issue on, we were making efforts in that regard. Um, and it's, I mean, it's primarily because the stories are just better um, when we've opened it up that way, but also because we, again, sort of related to the election, it was like, we want to be able to be, I mean, I feel like there's no reason to segment this population um, and to have a community that can hang out together and, you know, be good to one another. And we've done, like, letter writing campaigns and we've done um, some fundraisers and stuff. And it's like we just want to, like, be able to, like, mobilize it when we, um, when we have the opportunity to, to as well. Awesome. All right. Well, we will take a short break and we'll be right back. And we're going to talk agave, mezcal, and all those delicious, delicious drinks. Stay tuned. <laughs> My name is Brandon Boyd, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Are we back? We're back. Welcome back to HR Happy Hours. Who was our... What up, Vitor? Who was our sponsor? Mike. Was it Roberta's? Roberta's. Thank you, Roberta's. Roberta's. Thank you, Roberta's. Thank you, Roberta's. Thank you, Roberta's. 
I have to always say thank you. Those pizzas out there look so good. Why are we on this side of the glass? (laughs) Should we just crowd around? at it and see if they bring us any. (laughs) 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 It might work. David's harassing the awkward date table right now. So, Lou... I I think we should start with your previous life and what your career was before you got into the world of agave spirits. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so my previous life, I uh, I ran sales at Marvel Comics uh, for six years, for six years, nineteen eighty seven uh, to nineteen ninety three, um, and then I went to Dark Horse Comics in Oregon after that. But it's really funny. I, like I just went to visit uh, Duke's Liquor Box. Do you guys know Duke's oh, Liquor yeah. Box? So Duke's is this great liquor store um, over in Greenpoint, and it's like it's, it's fancy. It's got a beautiful selection. But when I first started working at Marvel uh, as a broke little twenty-something, uh, I was living just three blocks from there. And so nineteen eight, I was in Greenpoint in nineteen eighty-seven, and uh, and I was talking to uh, to Patrick about the, the neighborhood and how it's changed. And I said, primarily now, like, you've got good booze here, and normally on the walk to the train, I would just see it all mixed into the vomit on the sidewalk that I, as I was trying to get to the... People were just throwing up every night in that neighborhood. Yikes. Yeah. Is that a good way to start? I don't... <laughs> you wanted to know more Which about part? Spider-Man than about end. vomit. Yeah. 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 You know what? Wherever this interview takes us, I am willing to go. Um, so then how did you get into um, traveling to Mexico and learning all about agave? Oh, my God. Okay, so it's a long transition, so I'm going to try and make it a thumbnail. I uh, uh, was in the entertainment and publishing industries for a long time. And then I, I figured out what Pokemon was before the rest of the world. I acquired the mass market distribution rights to Pokemon comic books. I made a whole bunch of money without having to work. And so then I started doing pro bono marketing. The pro bono marketing led me to a bunch of educational uh, and, and child advocacy roles. And I got so excited about that. I thought, this is what I want to do the rest of my life, pro bono work. And then I lost the contract. I literally lost the contract. I don't know where I put it. And so then I stopped getting the money from the Pokemon. <laughs> and I had to go find like paying work. And so the, the guys at Rogue Ales in Portland, Oregon, saw my resume and they thought it was hilarious that of 400 resumes sent in for this marketing role there was one that had no experience in adult beverages and was just all comic books and uh, and nonprofits. They thought that was so hilarious, so they hired me. And, um, and at the time, they were the most highly awarded microbrewery in the U.S. And, uh, and I had had five cups of beer my entire life, and I learned to love beer, and then I found out that I was gluten intolerant. As much as I would love to have that pizza, I can't. And, uh, and so then I had to find something else to drink because I couldn't have that beautiful beer. And I had mezcal, and that led to Mexico, and here we are today. Wow. Did I do it all? Is that that was so good. <laughs> Sound effects. You're the new Micro Machines man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I also think people should hear what a typical trip that you take to Mexico looks like. Oh, my goodness. I don't know that there's a typical trip, but I can tell you the people who go with me to Mexico either love me or hate me. And uh, I, I tend to not dwell a lot. When I bring people down, I want them to walk away just feeling like they did a million things and they didn't even touch like the, the tip of the iceberg because there's so much beauty in rural Mexico and the way... You know, it's, uh, so I, I was listening to the radio today, and they, they were talking about how if you think about where stories were in the late 1800s and where they are now, like how we communicate stories, right? It was all just 
I am telling you a story, right? Back in the 1800s. And now you are downloading these, these multi-billion dollar movies onto your phone and watching them. Like the transition of, of stories has been tremendous. And then you go back to Mexico and they're making these agave spirits the exact same way they were, forget the 1800s, in the 1700s. And, and there's, there, is, there is probably nothing like this in the world where instead of evolving along a pattern of, uh, of, of creating efficiencies in what you're making, they've evolved their senses. They've evolved their sense of touch and smell and taste, the, their sense of listening and even and, and seeing so that instead of having these thermometers and dials and knobs telling them, your, your, your ferment is ready now. Your sugars are dissipated. It's time to distill. They do it by smelling it or they do it by tasting it. And, and it's, all multi, it's almost all multi-generation. That was a shout out to Edgar. It's almost all multi-generation. So if you think about the 10-year-old child, the 12-year-old child who's starting to help his father uh, to uh, ferment and distill agave spirits, that child is starting from the point where the father is, you know, when he's, uh, let's say, 35, mm -hmm. right? So, so he's starting from that base point, and his, and his father started from that same base point to his father. So you're literally building on the wisdom and the development of the senses. Mm -hmm. So that, like, that didn't answer your question at all. So I, I guess what I do is I take people out there and I drive them around to a lot of different palanques, uh, uh, basically home distilleries, uh, on any given day, and you'll taste out these amazing spirits. And they, oftentimes these, these maestros will serve them in what they call a jicara, which is, looks like a gourd, mm -hmm. and it's about the size of your head. And they'll fill it up. Like, there will be four or five of you, and they'll fill it all the way to the top, and you're like, oh, there's no way we can drink all of that, and, and yet you do. And, <laughs> and he's got six or seven different expressions, and you drink all of that. And, and at the end of the day, like, it's not like you're in a fraternity house, and you're feeling awful, and you're, like, you've, you're bombed. You're ready to go to the next place, and you're ready to taste some more, and you want to meet the next guy, and you want to know how he's different from the guy you just visited. Um... That's and these, yeah, answer. and these producers, they're these are. This is not. This is not agave spirit that you can get in the U.S. Well, you know, it's so so when I go down there, I hang out with uh, with uh, the men and, and some women uh, who who make traditional artisanal agave spirits. Some of which are certified and brought into the U.S. Uh, much of which is not brought in. And you know, when I when I do my tastings, I tend to only pour the stuff uh, from. Uh, the maestros who aren't being brought in legally, because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up somebody else's brand identity by talking about, you know, their brand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the vessels that you brought with you. That copitas. You copitas. See. Tell us what those are. Oh man, these beautiful little clay. Oh, I missed my opportunity. Can we go back a second? Rewind. Thank Go. you. Okay, so I want to talk about the uh, uncertified agave spirits because really what I should have said to you is, well, you know, in fact, you can buy some uncertified agave spirits. It's not as though they can't be exported because they're uncertified. It's easier to import something that's certified as mezcal, but there are, uh, oh, off the top of my head, four brands uh, that are bringing in beautiful, super small batch uncertified agave spirits. And the reason I want to talk about it 
is because that's what I want more people to drink. Not because I don't want people to drink the other stuff. They're going to drink the other stuff. But when, when you certify an agave spirit as mezcal, it costs money. And it costs roughly the same amount to certify 100 liters as it does to certify 1,000 liters. And there's no, um, there's no traditional uh, uh, maestro, no traditional um, uh, palenque where they're able to make a single batch that's a thousand liters. You just can't do it. You don't have the tools. You, you end up mixing batches. And when you mix the batches, in my opinion, you, um, you, you bury some of the beautiful subtleties. Mm-hmm. And so I want more people drinking like the 40, 80, 120, 200 liter batches. And most of that is going to be found in the uncertified stuff because they don't have to pay for yeah, the certification. Mm-hmm. So, so... In terms of brands to look for that are uncertified, Respiro is distributed here in uh, the, the, the New York metropolitan area. I think it's also in Boston. Um, you've got Cinco Sentidos, which is out of Chicago. And, uh, and then there's this... Uh, I'm going to screw up the name. Nope, that's not... There's this, this brand coming uh, called Balancan that's uh, a Tuxka that's out of Jalisco, um, that's just beautiful, and that's going to be in Chicago in a few months. And then Oaxaca Mezcal has their VDM line. Like, it's just beautiful, small-batch stuff. Cool. Lucas, did you have a question? Uh, yeah. What is, so certification is, in order to call it a Mezcal, it has to be certified? That's what... Yeah, okay. kind of like... Thank you. So kind of like champagne has to be certified, Mezcal has to be certified. And you can't... Uh, I mean, I could I could do a six-hour show on this, Um uh, and it would bore the hell out of everybody except me and the five people who hate me for talking about it. But um, uh, you, if you are a maestro who's making these beautiful traditional and artisanal agave spirits that you've called mezcal for all six generations of your family that have been making it, and you happen to be located in Jalisco, sorry, you can't call it mezcal mm-hmm. even if you were willing to pay the money, even if you're willing to make the uh, accommodations um, uh, that would be required to certify it. You just what, can't. What do they call it then? Uh, so they call theirs Ricea, but then if you go to a state like uh, oh, like Sonora, you're going to call it Bacanora. You can't call it Mezcal. There are all these different rules, and there are all these places where they're making it that you like. They can't call it anything. Chiapas, they got no name for it there. They they call it Mezcal, but they can't. They can't call it mezcal and send it over to the U.S. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They stole the word. The Mexican government stole the word. I shouldn't say that too often or they're not going to let me back into Mexico. <laughs> I really like going to Mexico. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Sacred and how you started it. Uh, sure. So I, I was going down to Mexico. I, I go down like six to eight times a year. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I've, I've got a real job. I hate Vincent Van Gogh. I've got a real job. Um, uh, outside of that where I, I, sorry, that was like an inside joke just for me. Um, uh, what do you have against Vincent Van Gogh? Oh no, that's also another episode. So, all right, you'll have to come back. Okay. So, um, I've got a real job that pays me money and then I spend all that money on this thing that's not a job. Uh, but you know, we're all, we're all going to die at some point. And when we die, all that is left of us is what we did while we were here. And, uh, you know, and so... I, 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 want, I want a piece of my legacy, not what I'm known for, but literally what I left behind. I want a piece of that to be that I helped 
I helped improve quality of life in rural Mexico, not because these poor people need my help. It's just not that. It's, I literally think the solutions to so many of the problems of our species, our human species, are buried in the imaginations of the children growing up in these communities where they're making artisanal and traditional agave spirits. So, so I was going down there six to eight times a year um, in order to do this, to raise money, to build libraries, to build greenhouses, to replant agave, uh, more recently since September of last year to, um, to do uh, relief work around earthquake-damaged um, places. Uh, I, I was doing this, and it was coming out of my pocket, and uh, it was just costing so much money, I thought, I've got to figure out a way to write it off. So since I run nonprofits, that's what I do for a living, I said, well, I'll just make this a 501c3, and now I, I, I still spend the money, but at least it comes out of my, you know, my taxes at the end of the year. There you go. And, and you know, also, to be fair, once I did that, I had all of these, these amazing people sign on as board members who have made as strong a commitment as I've made to raising the money. So also our fundraising has gone up, which means that the work that we're doing has increased. That's awesome. Yeah. So we are a little bit short on time. Did you want to do any little bit of tasting on air? Or uh, do you want to wait for the tasting event? You know, the, the on-air tastings, like, if, if I pour something for you, like, what do we, we talk about what it tastes, like, I don't want to, I want to talk, like, I don't, do you think we can communicate how delicious this is? Well, I was thinking what we could do is taste something while we're doing trivia. Oh, <laughs> yes. well, then I'm going to say yes. Let's okay, do that. Yeah. I convinced you. All right, so <laughs> there we go. So Sam is our trivia master. She's going to read some trivia for us all. And in the meantime, we'll just do a little a little bit of a taste. A little we'll, teaser we'll for the event. We'll see how it affects your trivia skills yeah, as yeah. we go on. And Sam, can you just describe the bottles before you go too far in the trivia? Because the, it's radio, but... Well, yeah, what he's brought us are like five basically clear glass flasks with just masking tape on them uh, with Sharpie marker written like where they're from and dates. Um, probably more information than that on them, but yeah, they look like cool. It looks like a fun science experiment that we're going through, <laughs> but it's way more fun than any science experiment because it's going to get us drunk, I guess. <laughs> no, 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 no. It will not get you drunk. It will have you appreciating life in a different way. There you oh, there go. I feel like and at the end there's a volcano. <laughs> um... All right, do you want me to read a question first or we talk about it? Yeah, let's read a question while we're passing copitas. Okay. Uh, well, so trivia this week, um, Tuesday was the first day. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have to interrupt you. Wait. Oh, God. Yeah. Is anybody a vegetarian? Okay, keep going. Oh, uh, There's don't, meat don't in this mascot? Yeah. Oh, what's it? It, it was fermented in bull skin. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Bummer. I'll pour you something different. I Sorry. No, I'll, you I'll take different. it. Okay. <laughs> or you can make an exception. Will this make me better at reading trivia? Let's no, see. Uh, well, so this round of trivia is based on the fact that this is now the beginning of spring. Spring is a myth. Started on Tuesday. So we're doing a little spring break, even though it's snowy outside, spring break themed trivia. Um, okay. So number one, uh, spring officially began on Tuesday at 12.15 p.m. Eastern time. And that is a precise and fixed point in time defined as when the center of the sun passes directly over the equator. What is the actual term for that? Equinox. Which equinox? Spring equinox. <laughs> I'm going to need a different term. <laughs> Not autumnal. Not no, autumnal. Non-autumnal is Vernal. correct, but does anyone know? Vernal. Which equinox? Vernal? 
The vernal equinox is correct, Sarah. Good job. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, uh, and uh, Lou, will you tell us a little no, bit more detail about what we have in these copitas before we have a sip? But I didn't get the answer right. I still get to you talk about it? You can still talk about That's it, Mescal, or <laughs> about yeah. spirits. Okay. We'll let you talk all the time. So so what you're drinking is um, made by Maestro Amando Alvarado Alvarez in Santa Maria, Ixcatlan, Oaxaca. Uh Population 485. And it's um, it's a papalome agave, which in this case is a potatorum, which means nothing to you guys, but it does to me. And it was roasted in a stone-lined earthen oven. It was then milled by hand using what looked like Fred, Fred, looks like Fred Flintstone's softball bat, pounding it up and down, up and down all day long, and then fermented open air in uh, bull skin fermenters. They literally skinned a bull and then made a giant pouch of that and then fermented it, like literally letting the wild yeast um, from from the, the avocado tree next to the palenque, let that yeast incubate the uh, the ferment. And the and the and, oh, and that avocado tree. That's this little uh, uh, avocado varietal where the skin is thin enough that you could, you eat it. It's like it's you eat the whole avocado, not the pit, but the whole avocado, and the skin tastes like basil. Anyway, so it was fermented open air in the in the bullskin, and then it was distilled in a wood fired clay pot still by this twenty eight year old young man who's making these beautiful spirits the same way that his great 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 grandfather did. Whoa. And it tastes... Beautiful. Phenomenal. Right? So, you know, the beauty of this stuff, too, is that each batch is different. So the, this batch that you're drinking was made in August of 2017. But if you uh, happen to live in Chicago or uh, you shop online... I don't remember the name of this. Uh, never mind. Uh, Cinco Sentidos releases some spirits by Amando um, that's part of their Papalo Metal line that's just... Exquisite. Everything that he makes is exquisite, but each batch is a little bit different, which is the beauty of what he's doing. I think you earned back your trivia point. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I feel like everything I any anything I say next will just sound like caveman speak because just, <laughs> put it back on the board. Like recited beautiful poetry about mezcal. Um and it tastes delicious. It's smoky and like almost fruity, I think. Oh, say. it's very fruity. Um all right. Question number two. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. No, I'm laughing at myself. Uh People that don't believe in science believe that <laughs> believe that Groundhog's Day will predict how much time is left in winter. So on Groundhog Day, what does it mean if Punxsutawney Phil sees his shadow? Six more weeks of winter, right? So, yeah, six more weeks. Of, it means yeah. So, wait, are you? It's not a trick question. Six more weeks of winter. Yeah. Yeah. I just basically wanted to know if you knew if it was six more weeks weeks of winter or not. Oh, he yeah. he runs away if he does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Thank you. Um, all right. <laughs> Number three is, uh, so the idea of spring break actually, uh, in terms of it being a beach party, began in 1938 when Fort Lauderdale, Florida, hosted a swim forum, um, which, yeah, it was more <laughs> than 300 word. college swimmers came to Fort, Lauderda Fort Lauderdale to, I already like can't, I'm already slurring my speech. <laughs> <laughs> um, they all came to Florida to swim because <laughs> Fort Fort Lauderdale, Florida, geez Louise, uh, was home to Florida's first what? Indoor swimming pool. Armor. It is a type of swimming pool. Armory. It's a swimming armor. It, that's no. the fort part. Olympic no? sized? Olympic sized is correct. Oh. Sarah with the, yeah, coming in and clutch. Um, yeah, Fort Lauderdale, Florida had the first 
My answer was so dumb, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's right. so dumb. Indoor swimming pool. Why would you need an indoor swimming pool in the spring of Florida? That's a good point. I'm, um, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> it was Me too. <laughs> All right, question number four. Um, in 1986, MTV started broadcasting their very infamous <laughs> spring break specials from what U.S. city? Panama City yeah. Beach, no. Florida. I was going to say the grind before oh. you finish that sentence. Uh, it remained in the city until 1989. It's a it, different Daytona. It wasn't yeah. Fort Lauderdale? Daytona. Daytona oh. Beach is correct. Um, I think that then it moved on to Panama City Beach after Daytona was like, we don't want to be associated with this anymore. We're cool with NASCAR, bring it, but the college kids, This is no. way too trashy for us, yeah. They also, Sorry, they, every don't year, letters they, to me. They, like, they do a huge motorcycle thing every year in Daytona. I, yeah, I yeah, live, there's like a bike week with, yeah. Yeah, of, I lived the worst year of my life in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> so I like, I like, yeah. My dad went to that during his midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's notice that all of this is Florida, because Florida. It's all Florida. <laughs> um, all right, number five. Um, my alma mater, Columbia, for spring, we do this uh, spring festival called Bacchanal, which is based on the ancient Greco-Roman version of spring break, known as Bacchanalia. Um, those are festivals celebrating Bacchus, who is the Greco-Roman god Wine. of what? Yep. Wine. Wine is correct. Though. Good job. Wine and revelry. <laughs> AKA Don't Dionysus. Don't forget the revelry. <laughs> um, David knows his mythology. <laughs> All right, number six. In uh, the 2012 movie Spring Breakers, which follows four college-age girls on their spring break, and their subsequent descent into use of drugs, crimes, and violence, all while wearing very tiny bathing suits, <laughs> Uh, was written and directed by what filmmaker who also wrote the controversial 1995 film Kids? It's a really long way to I don't ask know. you who wrote Kids. <laughs> His wife's in I the movie. I hate trivia. I'm so bad at it. I'm sorry. Harmony Corinne. That is correct, David. Wow. David Tattashore on the trivia mic. Yeah, yeah, we got to take his phone away from he him. Just, That's he not just fair. Up, yeah. By the way, Chloe Sevigny, if you're listening, call me. <laughs> How does your girlfriend feel about that, David? Um, but yeah, Harmony Corinne is the correct answer. Um, so yeah, speaking of debauchery on spring break, wet t-shirt contests are... Uh, <laughs> uh, wet? <laughs> um, what actress puts straight dudes in seventh heaven with a wet t-shirt scenes in both the... 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and also 2001 Summer Catch. Jessica Biel. Michaela. Yeah! <laughs> Michaela was on that. This is the Mrs. Timberlake. I did. I did throw that she Seventh, seventh heaven, heaven kid. I knew she was in it. <laughs> oh, I, that was a hint. Wow. Yeah, wow. That was my subtle hint. Wow. Um, blink and you miss it. But Michaela was on it. Um, all right. This is your final question. LMFAO were a featured storyline on MTV's The Real World Cancun in August 2009. Uh, That's a statement, not a question. Yeah. 
I'm telling you that. Get okay. ready. That party rocking duo are the son and grandson of what Motown record label founder? Oh, really? LMFAO is a father and son? It's a um, oh. son and grandson. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Wait, no, I feel like it's actually an uncle. It's an uncle. That's it's an right. uncle and nephew. I thought that was just something yeah. you kids like tweeted to each other. <laughs> a- LMFAO? Hashtag LMFAO. <laughs> They're they're the grandson of what Motown Motown founder founder yeah. yeah. So I, if you know that who the founder of I, Motown was is, Barry Gordon. No, was Barry Kurt. Gordon? I have a, wow, it's Barry Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he must be so proud. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously. You guys did great. That was like that was very perfect. fun trivia, yeah. and I like and I like drunk. I like uh, having yeah. a uh, agave tasting in, in between. That's the best way to do trivia. Amen. Yeah. We oh. need to do this every week. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be back next week. Yes, yeah. thank you. I'll be in Mexico next week. I won't be back next week. Colin, <laughs> Colin, you can Fake send news. a care package. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, well, Lubank is our, our new occasional unofficial co-host of HR and Happy Hour. Dude, is that because I got two questions? Wait, did I get two questions right? <laughs> yeah, I think right? you got a lot more. And, and you got like... Bonus uh, credit. We really okay. don't keep track of what I mean, questions people get look, right. Everybody wins uh, at trivia. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lucas wins, David wins, Lou wins, Michaela wins, Sarah wins. Sarah there are no losers, only degrees of winners. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody wins. That's beautiful. Everybody wins. Does anyone have any final words for our show today? I think we better go get ready to yes. uh, educate and entertain over at 100 Bogart. Yep. Edutainment. Edutainment. We are Jeez. heading over to 100 Bogart for our So You Think You Know Mezcal tasting. We will see you there. Edrinktainment. Edrink. Edrinktainment. Ed, Whoa. Ed, I'll add drink to that. Whoa. <laughs> thank you. Thank you once again. Ed and Bevtainment. Oh, God. What up, Eli? It, it's, go, it's going too far. It's going too far. Oh, my God. <laughs> thank you to Lucas Volger and Lou Bank for being our guests today. Thank you. Thanks to everybody here. I don't have time to read everyone's names. I'm sorry, but you all know who you are, and we love you. Peace out. Uh, Vitor, thanks for engineering our show today. My pleasure. <laughs> all right. We will see you back here next week. Until next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.